You're listening to The Real Well Show with Kathy Fetke, the real estate investor's resource. Welcome to The Real Well Show. Today, we're going to be doing a real wealth story, which we haven't done for a while. And joining me to co-host is my hubby and partner, Rich Fetke. Thank you. Good to be here. Looking forward to it. Yeah, I love doing these couples interviews with members of Real Wealth who have set goals and are achieving them. (laughs) It's very exciting and inspirational. So today we have Kevin and Michelle joining us. They are members of Real Wealth. Uh, We actually had Kevin on before, but Michelle couldn't join because I think she was having a baby, (laughs) a small baby. Yeah, the baby was not sleeping. So. Okay. Yes, that's it. <laughs> well, welcome back. Um, welcome back to Kevin and Michelle. It's great to have you here. What got you into real estate investing going, going back? To, when did you start and what got you into it? Uh, so I started, of course, with Rich Dad, Poor Dad, reading Robert Kiyosaki and nice. uh, just taking the less, taking a few of those lessons. Lesson one, get a job in sales. Number two, um, use that experience to be able to learn to build something within real estate. And so I found Yale back in 2012. Um, and it just seemed to marry theory to practice, which was really mm. exciting. So started off out in Ohio uh, with, with a great team out there. And that really proved up the concept. And then um, just stepped on the gas more recently as as we've decided or as we continue to do better in our, our careers and finances. Awesome. Had, had you invested in anything before real estate stocks or any, anything beyond that? Not, but no, not, not much. Not much. No, so you dove right into real estate. Cool. Yeah. It's unusual. My dad had me read rich dad, poor dad when I was 16. Right, I thanks was dad. dad. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle, what about you? What, what inspired you to, in uh, 2013, I actually um, inherited a property with my brother. And at that time, I had bought my own property in 2012. And I was starting grad school in 2013. I had another property to manage. And so it kind of just fell into my lap, um, learning the, the ropes. And then in 2016, um, my brother and I went in on an investment property here in Sacramento. And at that time, uh, right when we invested, I actually met Kevin and um, it was something that we enjoyed together and that's how we connected. And um, it just kind of went from there. And then I pulled the money that I had um, by portion of the, the property in Sacramento. And then when um, our relationship took off, we actually took part of that money and moved it out of state. And then the rest is just history for us. Yeah, good. Found the right partners. <laughs> awesome. Well, our mindset for investing is pretty aligned. And so I think that works really well, but whatever he's thinking, I'm already thinking it and whatever I'm already thinking, he's thinking it. So it's just two peas in a pod. Oh, I love that. Nice. So how did you decide what your goals were, where, where you both wanted to head financially with your investing? I think these goals are going to continue to change, which is part of the exciting part in the sense we are getting closer and, Rich, I know you're familiar with with the disc profile. Michelle's actually a strong D, and so for those that aren't familiar, very results oriented, goal driven, action oriented, nice. mm-hmm. uh, wants to win, 
can be blunt sometimes. <laughs> She's like, really? <laughs> um, I, I fall into the S quadrant, but with a with a big tick in, in in a lot of those same traits: entrepreneurial, results oriented, driven. You need that mm. sales as well. Um, so I think with those two things, then I think we decided to choose something that that was attainable and made sense and so uh, we were we we're all we're all, already on our way to the initial goal and then once we saw an opportunity with an alignment on finances careers and and overall goals and it was just really easy to hit the gas and then now we're we're steadying a bit we don't have to accumulate as quickly as we did before we don't there, there's not a whole lot of FOMO, fortunately, now because we did take that action, mm-hmm. and so I think once we once we get to that goal, and even and we're also talking about what what happens beyond that, which which is so your your goal is twenty properties, and part of the reason for that is because you can each get ten loans. Is that why? Yes. So that's our initial goal of um, just obtaining those each. Um, 10 goals at uh, 10 loans and then um we'll just go from there we're not quite sure yet we've been hitting the gas pedal really hard the last three years and in the past three years we started our family we just had another baby last year it's a different headshot last last time we did this yeah. this time <laughs> awesome yeah, baby. so things have been really busy in the past three years and so now we're kind of just slowing it down and we want to also enjoy our money and just find, enjoy our money, enjoy our kids, enjoy life because now COVID's over, things are opening up. So we're looking at other perspectives and other opportunities. And so it's not just about investing and making that money and saving and preparing for retirement, but also being able to enjoy that and enjoy everything and not just have to wait to enjoy things when we're retired and we might not have the energy to enjoy anymore. Nice. So retire from the things you don't like doing. <laughs> like, yeah. like it. Nice. So, so 20 properties is the goal. What's for the sake of what? Like, why? Why accumulate? Is it just financial security? Is it to free up your time? What's the intention? Yeah, I think it's a good question. And I think that's, that's what we're asking ourselves, especially as we prepare for what's next beyond that. And I think the the short answer is just super tactical. It's it's the banks say we can get twenty loans between the two of us, and we look at the inflation rates and what we can borrow money for, and then we look down the road, and it's sort of an offense defense thing too. Mm-hmm. That we see from our perspective, where we are pretty convinced we're not going to get social security payments given our age. Mm-hmm. Where things are headed there, and so we don't really think that's going to be around for us. So we have to be more proactive about having a, our plan for ourselves, and even the whole concept of a four hundred one k. To me, it's a it's a bit of a moving target. It's difficult because if you could accurately forecast how much longer you're going to live, how much it's going to cost to get there, I don't know if you would still be working. You'd be doing something else. Um, if you <laughs> right. had that knowledge to accurately forecast that. So I, I'm not fully convinced that that's a way in which you can um, 
fully retired. And I, I was reading some articles earlier about artificial intelligence and how that's going to be eliminating a ton of jobs. So I think just being, just seeing real estate as a way to be a defensive counter to some of these things, but also on the offensive, having extra cash flow, figuring out what to do with that and just being able to build assets. That's something that's been top of mind as well. Yeah, that's fascinating because it's an it's an interesting interesting approach. It's cool because it's like it's strategy, like you said, it's defensive at this stage of the game. So many people we talk to are like, "Well, I want to be able to retire with this, you know, have my lifestyle, you know, keep my lifestyle as far as enough income from my investment properties." Or someone else might be, "I want to be able to be job optional. I want to leave my job because I'm frustrated with it, so I'm doing this." But you guys are kind of taking a different approach. It's more like what's the best use of our money, like where we can put our money, where it's going to grow and bring us the most wealth and potential cash flow in the future. Uh, and then we'll figure it out later. But it's like, what do we do with our money now? It's, it's cool. I like that. It's a defensive approach. And we have kids. And so, you know, right now they're young, they don't need too much, but we don't know what they'll need further down the line. And so just being able to set ourselves up in the best position that we can, we're also setting our kids up. And so um, our goal is to basically fulfill their needs and for whatever it is that's going to come our way with them and whatever their dreams are, we're able to support them. We're going to have the financial means to do that through our investing. Awesome. Well, let me be super clear. Uh, they may not need anything, <laughs> but they will want everything. <laughs> our, our already is <laughs> like that. He gives me a list of things every single day. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> He's good at asking for what he wants. And that's a, that's a powerful trait. <laughs> I knew this, I knew that. <laughs> so what was it like for you to do your first investment out of state? Uh, for me, it was, gosh, it's been a decade. So it, at first it was a little bit of a shot in the dark, but I think for the price points, when you're looking at a hundred thousand dollar property back then at twenty percent down, I was like, well, you know, that's I could take a chance on that. And yeah. Single, no kids. Uh, so I think it was a little bit of a shot in the dark at first, and then with the great team there, the the checks were coming in, and there wasn't a whole lot of asks for maintenance. It was like, oh, this works. So it was a total proof of concept. And it was extremely smooth. I didn't think that I was going to be investing in Ohio, but the investment counselor that I had back then had guided me towards that team mm -hmm. because that team was had gotten really high marks. And so, okay, it was and that really first investment was through Real Wealth ten years ago. Correct. Yes. Wow. Kathy That's... Copeland Tisa had guided us. Oh my gosh! Oh, longtime <laughs> member. That, I hope you'll come to our twenty-year anniversary party in October. We will see if things can line up. I think the kids are out of daycare for a week somewhere in October. So if that lines up, then there may be a combined Disneyland slash. <laughs> oh, I love it. I know. So nice. <laughs> to do a, a, a real wealth Disneyland trip. <laughs> yeah, and you get to write it off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing that we've, we're beginning to, to learn because now it's not just a few houses. It's We're trying to figure out how to run it like a full business. And it's smart. So buttoning up, hey, do we have the right people on our teams for this? It's That's also something that it's not in the explicit 20-unit goal, but 
it is something that's definitely top of mind right now. That's part of our um, goal this year is we're looking at our portfolio like, oh, wow, we're almost at our goal. Now what? You know, we've been in the last three years, we've been in an acquisition state. And so we've just been acquiring properties left and right, closing deals. We still have one more property to close on. And then what's next? And so we need to make sure that we're set up to protect ourselves. And so that's something that um, we're actively seeking right now and making sure we have the proper people to help us with that. I'm curious, over the past 10 years, there's been lots of ups and downs. There's been lots of drama, right? Uh, We've had change in leadership and then a change again and then COVID. And what's kept you on your mission to acquire and build your portfolio in spite of all those kind of headwinds? Yeah, it's a good question. I think there's there's been different responses at different points. And so I think the most the most recent one, we had some challenges with the property management, one of the property management teams down in Florida. And while there were challenges and it's it's something that we felt like we got taken advantage of that, you know, that stuff happens. And one thing is it's a lot easier when we've bought those properties for the price points that we have and the, the rents and the purchase prices have gone up and just looking down the road, five, 10, 15 years, there's no way that we can get that same investment that we did back then. And so that helps take some of the pain off. And I think another thing, especially in that same example is that we want to teach our kids too. Sometimes you do everything right. And sometimes things still don't go your way. And so mm-hmm. the best way to be able to teach that is to, to go through it and, and know what it's like before we communicate that out to them. I love that. That's so much what rich studies with stoic stoicness. Yeah. And you can control your actions, but you can't control your outcomes. Right. <laughs> so all you can focus on is your actions and, and give it your best, you know, learn as much as you can and take, take bold action, which you guys have done, which is awesome. And yeah, usually it works out when you are well-educated, but not always. Yeah. Yeah. And then the sports analogy too, I think for in baseball, for example, if, if you make seven outs for every 10 appearances that you go up to the plate, that means you, it's a lot of outs and that's more often than you reach base. But still, if you do that, then you're still in the hall of fame and we don't have to do that for real estate. We don't have to win every single battle, but if we win enough, great point. We're still going to be ahead. Yeah. What other lessons would you teach your kids? Will you teach your kids in the future? What do you think are some of those big ones? Money lessons for sure. We've seen so many examples where it's, it's definitely not taught in schools. And so the, exposure that kids get from their parents about money just is paramount. The way that we talk about it, the way that we leverage it, the way that we can use it to do different things. And (laughs) just a funny side story too. We've, we've begun taking our older three-year-old son to local open houses in the neighborhood Mm -hmm. and just to get him a little exposed, but he loves it because some of them have free snacks. And so he's (laughs) (laughs) nice. Uh, great. Trying to get him comfortable with some of that. And uh, I think that's, that, that's a starting point. It's really interesting because in so many families, money is not talked about. It's almost like shy away from it. You don't, don't bring that up and everything. It, 
Have you seen that with in other families or was it your experience growing up? Yeah, I think we've, so one of the podcasts that we listened to and they've got a Netflix show now, it's, it's really exploring that. And it, I think the, he builds it as the intersection of psychology and money. That's where his specialty is because that's, it's so much of what it is where oftentimes when decisions are made or emotions are felt, it's not a numbers problem. It's actually an emotional psychological thing about how you do it. Wild. What show is that? Uh, on Netflix, it's called How to Get Rich. The mm-hmm. podcast is uh, I Will Teach You to Be Rich by Ramit Sethi, who, ironically enough, grew up in Sacramento as well. Yeah. Awesome. We'll have to put that in the show notes. It's Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah, I love what you said about taking your kid to open houses. Uh, that's, that was my Sunday afternoon fun day with <laughs> totally. our daughters. You know, we would go to different open houses and we would guess the price. And mm-hmm. just for fun, whoever guessed close closer, you know, got one something. I don't, I don't remember what, but, uh, it just became a game and we got both caught really, really good at guessing the price. Is your other, your other daughter, is she the one that's out doing the golden visa program? Because that was also interesting to us. Yeah, that, that one. Yeah. The 23 year old is the one who's been traveling Europe. Unfortunately, the golden visa program is ending. So anybody who wants to do it needs to jump in really quickly because they're going to end it any day. Mm-hmm. But you can you can get on the list, right? Our older daughter was twenty four when she bought her first property. Yeah, pretty awesome. Yeah, so mom inspired that, and she made it happen. And that house went up in value a lot. She was able to sell it profitably and roll that money into a new property. And now she lives a half hour from us um, because she was she started young. So yeah, absolutely great to teach those money lessons as soon as possible. Yeah. And that's what we're noticing too, where it happened to me. It's, it's happening here. The opportunity to own a property close to where you grew up is just getting harder and harder. It doesn't really matter where you are. It's just getting harder and harder. So the only way I think to balance that is to start early. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely start early. That's what I, that's what I think I love about bigger pockets with all the references and, you know, resources for young people, uh, even books and all that stuff, getting started a real estate rookie and all that. So yeah, it's cool. It's, it's a lot different than when we started real wealth 20 years ago, there was barely (laughs) anything available. Yeah. It's interesting. It's almost the opposite problem now because there's too much information. (laughs) That's really a good point. Yeah. Who do you listen to? Yeah. Welcome to 2023, right? (laughs) And then pretty soon it's going to be just AI. And do they know? We'll, we'll find out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good. So just in wrapping up, it, it does seem like you're not as focused on cash flow today as in building a portfolio. Would you say that's true? Yeah, I think that we've evolved with that. At first it was about, oh yeah, it's got a cash flow just in case things don't go right. At least we've got a lot of our bases covered. And then I think as we've acquired more properties in the appreciating markets. The cash flows aren't as great, but the other thing that we found is that the rents have skyrocketed in some of those appreciating markets. So yeah. it's difficult to put that in the year one pro forma. And even if you do mark that out three years, five years, it's 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 a tricky thing to forecast because rent it, rent growth is a really difficult thing to predict because now we're seeing rents flatline. And so um, I mean, all our properties are cash flowing. We're not, yeah, 
they're all cash flowing, but I guess because we're both working our W2 jobs, we don't really consider the investment money as money that we're, they're there to spend. We kind of ignore that money. Um, It's there. It's, it's like a cushion when we're upset with our jobs, we want to walk away. We're like, oh, okay, we look at it. It makes us happy. <laughs> like we don't need to take the promotions. We don't need to, to do more than what we're doing right now. But um, yeah, we're not dependent on it. So I guess we're not as focused on the cash flow because we're just not dependent on that money. Yeah, it's a good point. And to, mm-hmm. to continue that point, having enough of these properties that generate cash flow can help balance some of that. And what it has led to for lifestyle wise for us. For example, she was able to take a year off to be with both our kids, which Mm. so many moms say, oh, I wish I could do that. And financially, so many of them can't. And so this has definitely helped us in that too. I took a year off for each kid. And so it was nice to be able to go back to my job, but not have to worry about going back if I didn't want to and not feeling like I had to rush to get back. So the first year of their life, we got to spend it together and so I got to enjoy that little stay-at-home mom life and then go back to doing what I was doing before that. Awesome. Dad. Have you guys taken the real wealth assessment yet? I took it. No. And do you remember where you were on your score? Low 80s. Low 80s. Oh, okay. It's pretty solid. Yeah, most people who take it come in around like 50 to 60. So so that's good. You've, you've put some things in place and... Any any insights or ahas from it where you're like, oh, this is where I need to put a, more of my attention? Uh, I think we may have taken that after our older son was born. So do you recommend taking it after big life events or after a certain number of years? Or, uh, we, I think every six months is a great idea. It's like, you know, every six months you do it, you see where your score is, you record your score, keep track of it. Because those 20 different questions in those 20 different areas are places where you're like, if you score something like a three or a two, you're like, oh, here's an area where I need to put some focus over the next six months. And you build that out and then you take it again. And then that score, you're scoring at a four or a five. And then you get that higher real wealth score. Uh, to really see where you're at. So it's kind of a tool for you to measure of what needs attention and what's working well. Yeah, a way better way of doing New Year's resolutions. <laughs> yeah, right, good point, good point, awesome. Maybe we'll do, uh, June's approaching, so that's a mid-year point. So maybe we'll take it sometime this week and we'll email you the results. I love it, great love idea. It. Rich, how nice. do people find that? Uh, just realwealth.com forward slash assessment. Really simple, just 20 questions. At the end of the 20 questions, you get a real ball score between zero, that would be pretty bad, and 100, couldn't get any better. I hope nobody gets a zero, but even if you do, there's even even getting to a one is doubling it, right? (laughs) Yeah, there you go, right? (laughs) All right. Well, uh, it's just been such a pleasure to have you here and to get a check-in. Thank you so much, Michelle and Kevin. Is there any... Any last tip you would give to our listeners uh, who are maybe feeling anxious about the economy, about the debt ceiling, about everything that's going on in the news and are afraid to move forward? Yeah, I think you just echoed one of the, at least one of the prior guests, where it's just find your why, because that's what's going to get you through the tougher times. And if you have mm. a strong why, then that's that's going to be exactly it. And so for us, I brought up some of the other things earlier where, well, how does, how do, how does not moving forward compare to well, the likelihood of us getting social security payments or, um, 
or awesome. anything like that. And so it's, uh, yeah, what's your why? And if you have a good why, you're going to move forward. If, if you don't, or if you have better alternatives, pursue those alternatives, but do something. Yeah. Yeah. Don't just analyze forever. That's good. Love it. All right. Well, thanks again for being here on The Real Well Show and, and sharing your story and being a, a loyal member for 10 years now, educating other, other members. I love it. It's just full circle. And Rich, of course, thank you for being here as my co-host again. Mm, thank you. <laughs> and thank you all for joining us here on The Real Well Show. You can go to realwellshow.com to get access to hundreds of free webinars and get to book an appointment with, with one of our investment counselors that can help you on your path. I'm Kathy Becky. Thanks for joining me here on The Real Wealth Show. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to realwealthshow.com.